If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have extra Bibles. Daniel, if you can hand out any Bibles that people need, we have that. We're going through, we go through the scriptures verse by verse, and we are in, we're going to finish up chapter 6 of Hebrews. Hebrews is a letter or a sermon that is written to a small house church that has been undergoing persecution. These were believers who have come from mostly a Jewish background. They have been faithful to God. They have uh, endured hardships and persecutions. They had houses taken and possessions taken. Uh, They have experienced a lot of difficulties in their life, but they've been beginning to wonder if, if Jesus is the way. They've been beginning to wonder, is this really the path, you know? And the whole intent of Hebrews is to encourage them to say, you know, stay with Christ. There's no, other, there's no better option than Jesus. And he goes through, Jesus is better than the angels. Back then they thought angels were a big to-do, so they were like, oh, maybe angels are it. Jesus is better than Moses. Moses gave us, gave us the Old Testament and the law. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than Joshua. Joshua get, brings them into the promised land, but Jesus brings us into heaven and eternity. And then he says, Jesus is better than Aaron. Who's Aaron? Aaron is the high, was, the, was the, priest, the priestlyhood of, of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood that would go and offer sacrifices. Jesus is not of Aaron. He is of a different man called Melchizedek who has a different priesthood. And so he's encouraging them. And, he, and then he takes a pause and says, Listen, I want you to, to, to press on to maturity. If you go back to um, Hebrews, um, uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 5 and verse 11, he says, you've become dull of hearing. So he's like, you know, you know I want you to, uh, to realize that, that, that Christ is the way, but for some reason you guys have reverted back, going back to drinking milk instead of eating meat in verse uh, 12 and uh, 13 and 14. He says, I want you to press on to maturity. And there are some who can't press on because they've, they've fallen away. But, but he says in verse 9 of chapter 6, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that belong to salvation. This is what we talked about last week, the things that belong to salvation. So he says in verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to realize the full assurance of hope until the, to that, to the end, so that you may not become dull, verse 12 but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says, listen, I want you to, to, to stay the course with Christ and be like those who through faith and endurance and patience inherit the promises. And then he's going to specifically go into Abraham as that example. Abraham as that example of what it looks like to be a man of faith, a man of patience. For when God made a promise, verse 13, to Abraham, he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself, saying, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. We're going to dig into a little bit of Abraham today. For 
Men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In other words, mankind, because we are a bunch of fallen, lying creatures, we have to swear an oath, you know, so help me God, kind of thing. I swear, you know, we have to swear to a higher authority, so to speak, say, hey, I, what I'm going to say is the truth and nothing but the truth, you know. And he's going to talk about how God actually condescended to do that with Abraham, though he didn't have to do that. In the same way, verse 17, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor to the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed, and one which enters within the veil where a forerunner has entered for us. Jesus had become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but this, this, this section makes me think. Here's the idea. The big idea is, is you can trust God because he's trustworthy. Now, at the end of the day, here's what's going to matter. Let's just, let me just cut to the chase. Okay, a lot of us are getting, I'm getting older in my life, right? And when you're young, you thought you had all the years ahead of you, right? And everything was in your control. But then as you get older, you realize, my, I'm, I'm counting my years differently. And I'm realizing that, that, that this whole trusting, is it, is it really going to happen, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to know, is my trust in faith, and, and faith in Christ for real? And is he going to really come through, right? Let's just, let's just at the end of the day, when, when you get a phone call, someone's at the hospital and they're, they're dying and they're, they're wondering and know, is Christ trustworthy? Is, is, this gonna, is this for real? And no, no other stuff that's going to matter. At the end of the day is like, can he be trusted? And the scripture is teaching us, yes, he can be trusted. Now maturity says this, maturity in Christ says that the longer you have faith in Christ and you trust him, you're more, the more you realize how firm and how trustworthy he is, the more it settles your soul. And Abraham learned this. He uses Abraham as an example. Abraham is given a promise at 75 years old. At 75 years old, he's given a promise. Go, go to chapter 12 of Genesis. We're going to go look at some scripture, okay? I just want to show you this because if he's using Abraham as an example of, of what faith really looks like and what trust really looks like. Abraham is given this promise in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is... Uh, 75 years old at this time. Abraham lives in what is called modern-day Iraq. He's not a God follower. Or he doesn't know God at all. God comes to him and says, Abraham, or Abram was his old name uh, before his name was changed. We'll get to that in a second. Genesis 12, he says, Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, verse 2, Genesis 12, 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you shall become a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the initial promise to Abraham. Go. 
at 75 years old, I'm taking you on a new journey, Abraham. Sometimes you feel it's like it's, it's God passed me by and I'm too, I'm, I passed my... No, no, no. I'm just beginning with you, Abraham. You're 75 years old and you haven't lived life yet. <laughs> he has no idea what journey he's on with the Lord. I had friends, uh, years ago we had friends, dear friends of ours who were, they were in ministry, they were, he was a pastor, they were missionaries, and, and then they were pastoring a church, and they, were, they had life full of ministry, and then something happened where they had to leave, and they felt like their, their time was done, and God said, no, I've got bigger things. They started like an intercessory prayer ministry, they began to pray for people, and if you got on their list, like that they said they're going to pray for you, you can, you can, you can, What's the expression? Like, like, you can take it to the bank that they would pray for you. They said, if you got on their prayer list, you knew you were prayed for. I mean, years ago by that, they had a daughter. Said, I'm gonna pray for your, I'm a, um, she said, I'm going to pray for your dad. A year ago goes by. How's your dad? I've been praying for him. I'm like, what? She's like, her parents. You know, They thought their ministry was done. It was just beginning. God says, ah, I got new things for you. Abram, leave. I'm going to give you some land. I'm going to give you some people to live in that land. <laughs> and I'm going to make those people a blessing to the whole world. Genesis 13. Abram travels with his nephew Lot. They separate. Verse 14, the Lord says to Abraham, after Lot separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are at, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your seed can also be numbered. How old is Abraham now? He's 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. They have no children. Chapter 15, Genesis 15. Now this is where this starts getting interesting. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me as I go on being childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. One of my servants, his name is Eliezer. He's going to inherit. Maybe he's through him. And Abram said, since you have given me no seed, behold, one born in my house is my heir. Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this one will not be heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And brought him outside and he says, now look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. Now, they say that if you're in an area where there's no, no city light, he could probably number like 3,000 stars, you know, but we know, we know better than that. We know there's Gazillions, we know this, you know, the latest technology of telescopes tells us there's even more billions of galaxies that they haven't, I mean, there's so much more than you can realize. But here Abraham, not with any city lights, he could see a lot of stars. And if he was able to number them, God says, that's how many uh, your descendants are going to be. So shall your seed be. In verse 6, and he believed God, the Lord, and he counted him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. What does Abraham have to go with right now? He doesn't have much to go with, right? God doesn't show him a spreadsheet. Now, here's the order of things I'm going to do, and here's, here's a pictorial, here's a presentation of how I'm going to do this. No, 
All he has to go with is God's what? Word. Abraham, hear from God, leave your country. Okay, up and going. Along the way, of course, he's like, no, when is this going to happen? Okay, his faith's not perfect, but his faith starts right. It starts just by taking God at his word. See, some people have a hard time trusting God because they don't take God at his word. God says, see, God is, is such of a character that, well, we'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll, I'll pause on that for a second. He takes God at his word. Abraham is great faith because he takes God at his word. But then look at this. Then he believed God, verse 6, and God, he, he counted him as righteousness, verse 7. And he said to them, I am the Lord, or Yahweh, who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord, how may I know that I possess it? This is going to be a section where he, he cuts a, co- a covenant with Abraham. This is what Hebrews calls his, his promise to Abraham. How will I know? Verse 9, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought all, all these things and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part and the, 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 pro, the process, they would take the animals and just cut them in half and just have these things, right? And then the idea is when you cut a covenant, you and the person who you're cutting it with would pass through these, in between these things that have been cut and say, Here's, we're going to covenant, and if either of us fails to uphold our end, may what has been done to the, these animals be done to me. Right, so when you cut a covenant, you would pass through and say, that's how serious this is more than, this is so help me God and may I be cut in half if I fail to uphold this covenant. That's what would happen. Verse, uh, verse 11, Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. Abraham drove them away. Now it happened when the sun was going down, verse 12, a deep sleep oh, fell upon Abraham. I'm getting tired, Abraham says. And behold, a great terror and a great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. That's Egypt, obviously. They're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. But I will judge the nation to whom they have been enslaved. Afterward, they will come out with many possessions. That's Exodus, obviously. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, fourth generation, they will return for the iniquity of the Amorite, or it's also the Canaanite, is not yet complete. That's another discussion. Now it happened that the sun had set, and it was very dark, verse 17, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, Yahweh, or the Lord, cut a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your seed, I will give this land. And he gives the dimensions of the land from Egypt and the Euphrates and everything else. But here's the thing. God himself passes through those pieces, not Abraham. Which means that this promise on God is, says, God says, I'm going to uphold this covenant, Abram, by myself. While you're sleeping, I'm going to make sure that this happens. So when Hebrews says about God's promise, that's the first thing, this covenant. God says, so help me that if, 
if I fail to do this covenant, let what has been done to these pieces of animals be done to me. And of course, God's not going to tear himself apart. But that's the idea. That's how serious it was. This covenant was unconditional and it was unilateral. God came to Abram and says, I'm going to do these things through your life. And I'm going to guarantee that they're being done. Now, what does Abram have to do? What does he have to do? He just has to trust and just believe, right? And so when the writer of, of Hebrews says back in chapter 6 that, that we are to be imitators of those who faith and patience inherit the promises, the promises, this is the promise. You're 75, I'm going to give you land and children and be a ble- make you a blessing and you have none of that right now. See, faith is taking God at His word. Though you don't see it fulfillment, you take God at His word because you believe that God is truthful and, and, and faithful. Amen? That's why he says, through faith and patience in chapter 6, verse 12 of Hebrews, that those be imitators, have that kind of faith. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles that. That's the attitude. Now, here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, God did that, but then a whole lot of stuff happens. Abraham doesn't have Isaac, the child of the promise, until he's 100 years old. That's 25 years of waiting. Sarah is 90 years old. How many 90-year-old women are going to Babies Are Us to shop for a stroller for their own baby? Nobody, right? I mean, 65 is pushing it. But now you're talking a woman who's 90 years old, a man who's 100 years old, as if God were to say, I'm going to make certain that no one guesses wrong that is without a doubt me who's doing this. And despite length of time of waiting, so sometimes we're impatient, right? God says, I'm going to do this through your life. And you wait a few years. We're like, you know, we get impatient at Starbucks, you know. Where's my, where's my coffee? It's not hot enough, you know. We're, we're just impatient. We want things done. And God's like, wait, it's on my timetable. God says, wait a second. This is not you doing it. I don't, and this is not you helping me out, Abram. You have nothing to contribute except for skin and bones, right? But at the end of the day, it's me doing it. And the question throughout all of the Old Testament is this, will God keep his promise despite delay? Here's Sarah. Sarah is taken hostage by a couple people, different, I'm going to just, you know, by an Egyptian, by another person. And God protects, and it's like, as if to say, Will God be faithful to his promise? And Abram, who learned as through faith and patience, he learned God's promises are trustworthy because he trusts God because God is a good and trustworthy God. God is perfect in his truthfulness. God is good. When God says something his own character backs it up because he himself is good. He himself is truthful. There is no accusations against God that he's a liar. That's the enemy. And God says, no, I am truthful because that's my character. You can take it to the bank. When you read a promise of God, hold on to it. When you're trusting God, you're trusting him for who he is. 
When you come at the end of your life and you realize, have I trusted in Christ? Will he come through? God says, listen, if I came through for, for Abraham, I'll come through for you. I don't know about you, but I, that's the biggest question I think I have in my I, I don't have a question. I'm settled on that. But if you're here, you're not settled on that question. Will Christ come through? You could take it to the bank. That God will be faithful to fulfill his promise. If he did for just Abraham. Let us learn that he'll do it for us as well. For when God, verse, go back to Hebrews. I'm, I know I got, I got you guys, I got you all over the place, right? He, Genesis, got the whole Bible. He's got the whole Bible in his hands. He's got the whole Bible. <laughs> go back to the Hebrews. So he made a promise. Abram was trusting God in his promise. Where's that child, Abram? He's coming. Where's that land? He's going to give it. Why? Because I believe him. He swears by himself. Verse 13, For when God made the promise to Abram, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's another thing. So first one's the promise. This is very words. I'm going to do this. You just have to wait and trust me. And I don't know about you, waiting sometimes gets some of us nervous, doesn't it, right? Sometimes we feel like we have to help God out. Abram made that mistake, and Ishmael came about because of that. He slept with his, his, servant's, uh, his, his servant, uh, his, his wife's servant, Hagar, and Ishmael came, and God says, no, it's not through Ishmael, it's through you and Sarah. What do you mean? Get ready, Abram. God is faithful God is faithful. Your faith will grow to the extent that you are convinced of God's trustworthiness, faithfulness, and dependability. And this is what maturing of faith is all about. For when God made his promise, verse 13, to Abram, he swore by no one greater, by no one greater he swore by himself, saying, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply you. Now what does this mean? Go back to Genesis 22. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to do this. Go. I, you know, I'm not going to apologize. It's the Bible. You know, it's better than the Cardinals' ball game. So, because we know who wins, right? Jesus wins. Genesis 22. Look at Genesis 22. What's this about? Are you guys still with me? All right. I'm not feeling 100%, so forgive me if I'm... I'm I just feel like I'm kind of not clicking in all cylinders here, but the Lord's good, amen. Okay, Genesis 22. Now Abram has had Isaac. Perhaps he's 13 years old. So the child who was born at 100, praise the Lord, the, God's word has come true. I have a baby. My, my, we have a family. We have, we have a child Sarah is nursing a child. Now fast forward to about, perhaps he's 13. We know he's a young lad. We don't know how old, we know he's a young lad. And God wakes up Abraham and says, Abram, verse 1, Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abram, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Where's that? That's actually near Jerusalem on Calvary, where Christ was crucified, was on Mount Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering as one of, on one of the mountains, which I will still tell you. So Abraham rose up in the morning, 
Wait. God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. Next morning, Abraham gets up early and immediately be, uh, is obedient to God's command. Raise, uh, goes up early in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes two young men with him, verse 3, and Isaac his son, and splits the wood from her offering, goes to the place that God tells him. God, Abraham lifts up his eyes, saw the place from the distance, verse 5, he says to the young man, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will return to you. Abraham's like, we're going to go, we're going to worship and come back. He doesn't tell the young man, he doesn't tell Sarah. There's no indication he tells Sarah. Because you know if he told Sarah, she would not let that child out of her sight. Right? And there are things that God tells you that is obedience to him, but it's like, wait, this is trickier. Okay, I'm going to obey you. I don't understand everything that's going on. I can't see all the, the things that God is doing. He says, just obey, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm just trust me. And this is a test. Abraham doesn't know this is a test. All he knows is that God told me to do something. I'm going to do it. This is Abraham's character, right? Man of faith. Man of patience or man of trust. Abraham goes through, of course, and is about to sacrifice his son, and God provides. A ram instead of his son Isaac. And what Hebrews is quoting here, where it says in verse um, I'll go back here. Just stay there in Genesis, okay? When Hebrews says, verse 14, "I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply you." That's from Genesis 22, right here. Verse 16, God says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, the Lord, because you have done the sin and have not spared your son, your only son, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, as, as the sand which is on the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gate of the enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have listened to my voice. Now watch this. This is where, first was the promise in Genesis 12 and 15, right? 15, right? The covenant. Now is there, there's the, the oath. The oath is like, he says, I swear. Now God doesn't need to do that to take an oath. We do, right? If you go to the law, you, you, know, and you, you enter an agreement with somebody, you sign all kinds of documents. I'm going to pay them time. I'm going to do this, right? I swear, I call God as my witness to say, I'm going to do this, right? God doesn't need to do that because there's no one above God, right? It's just himself. So he condescends to appease us, so to speak, to say, hey, this is how serious. Not only is my promise, but now I'm giving you an oath that says, I swear that this stuff's going to happen. It was good enough for Abraham just at his word, right? Go. But yet God says, I'm giving you a promise, and I'm swearing as an oath to like double, triply reassure you that what's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to make you. I'm, I'm going to make this to pass, right? Let it be that we don't have to have God swear to us that He's going to do something. Let it be we just take Him at His word, because His word reveals His character, right? His word reveals His character, and His character is good, and it's perfect, and it's righteous. There's no darkness or lies in God. God cannot lie. He's not like a man that can lie. He doesn't pull a fast one on you. That's not the nature of God. 
Abram, as he learned to wait on the Lord, I think his faith matured. He's like, now God has been faithful to me thus far. Now when, he's, when he is told to offer up Isaac, the, well, both Hebrews and the book of Romans put a commentary. Go to Romans 4. Go to Romans 4. They give us insight as to what's going on in Abraham's mind. Because it's one thing for God to say, I'm going to give you a child. And it's another thing for him to tell you, you know, give that child back to me. Give that child back to me because here's the thing. I will not be worshipped below anyone else. Abram, let it not be that I give you this child. Now you're going to worship this child above me. Make sure that I'm still number one in your life. Do you still trust me, Abram? Yes, Lord. Sometimes God brings us through those tests where we, where we ultimately have to say, despite what I feel and everything it tells me, I'm going to trust you, God. If I'm in my deathbed at a hospital somewhere, let it be that, Lord, that my trust is firmly on Christ, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his goodness, and not anything else. Romans 4, you guys still with me? I'm excited. This is fun, you know? God's good. Okay, Romans 4. Um, <clears throat> let's look at... Verse 18. And you can read the rest of the chapter, but I'm just going to start with verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. Uh, hope here in the Greek is not what we think is wishful thinking. Oh, I hope to win a lottery someday, right? Or I hope, you know, the hope here in the Greek is uh, it's a word that means a confident expectation. But still, Aram is being told to offer up Isaac. He understands that he has the promise. Uh, in fact, go back to verse 13. For the promise to Abram, uh, Romans 4, 13, or to his seed that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through righteousness of faith. Um, that skipped down, I'm sorry, skip down to verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. Despite what God is telling him, sacrifice your son, he still believes that there's something that's going to... Wait, God's got to keep his promise. He's going to be seed. And it's going to be through this child, Isaac. But yet he's telling me to kill him. So I've got to believe that somehow he's going to make things right. And hope against hope he believes so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken of. So shall your seed be. And without becoming weak in faith, he his own, contemplated his own body. Now it is good as dead since she was about 100 years old. This is referring to uh, the first uh, promise of giving uh, uh, Isaac and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to do also. Abraham trusted God. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews 11. Verse 17. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only son, to whom it was said, In Isaac shall your seed be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he also received him back. So God says to offer up your son, and, and, and Abraham is trusting God. Go back to Hebrews 6. So he says in verse 14, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so verse 15, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. Then it explains, for men swear by one greater than themselves with an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In other words, we, we have oaths uh, to, to show that we're telling the truth. In the same way, verse 17, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, the promise of God, chapter 15, and the oath of God, chapter 22, it is impossible for God to lie. And there's plenty of scripture on that. Now here's, what we're, here's where we come into this. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hope of the hope set before us. He said, listen, and the same way that Abraham was, was trusting God, despite delays of time, despite delays and in different circumstances that seemed to jeopardize that hope, Abraham still trusted God at his word because he knew that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises. You can trust God because if you understand the nature of God. See, some people are suspicious of God because they don't know that God is good and trustworthy. If you have a theology of suspicion, you're in, you're, you're, no, 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 no. It begins and it starts with, what do you know about God? As you, and as those of us have been walking with the Lord for years, we've seen God come through in amazing ways, right? Sometimes we forget, but we see Okay, I don't know how he did it here. And I don't, you see his hand as you look, look back. I imagine Abraham as he looked back at his life and 25 years of waiting just for the son, he understood that God can be trusted. But when it comes to the end of your life, which no one knows the hour or day, are you trusting in Christ? As, as the writer of Hebrews says that we... Um, verse 18 we who have taken refuge refuge in Christ if your trust is in Christ he, he, there's a guarantee there right we need to have strong encouragement to take hold of that hope More confidence because if God, if God was faithful to Abraham and he was faithful to Christ to raise him from the dead, and by the way, God actually made an oath to Jesus. Psalm 110 says, I swear that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He takes an oath to Jesus as you are a priest forever. We have a high priest forever in Jesus who has entered within the veil, within the holy place. Our hope is in Christ. Now watch this. 
We who have taken refuge, let me stop right there. This is Old Testament language too. This whole thing is Old Testament language. In the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. I think there was like six of them, three on each side of the, the Jordan. And if you accidentally killed somebody, manslaughter, you could flee to one of those cities and you could stay there because what would happen is if you kill somebody that their family can send somebody to get after you and take you out too, right? So you can run to one of these cities as long as you were you know, truthful and you weren't you know, alive. Let's say you accidentally killed somebody. You can run to those 20 cities and, take, and be safe there. And, as long as, so, and, as, and you would have stayed there in that city as long as the high priest lived. When the high priest died, then you can, you can leave. What's interesting, Jesus is our refuge, but he's a high priest who lives forever, which means we are never going to be susceptible to Revenge by somebody else, right? So when we take refuge in Christ, there's safety there. Our trust is in Christ, who is, who is as he says, he says, it's like an anchor. Look what it says here. Um, this hope, verse 19, we have as an anchor to our soul. What's an anchor do? Yeah, it keeps the boat from drifting, right? So you're in, you're in a bay somewhere. You're, you're outside the ocean. You have a boat, right? And you put your anchor down to keep you from drifting. By the way, Hebrews in the previous chapter talks about drifting, lest us redrift. You know? So the, the anchor we have is Christ. Now in a boat anchor, of course, there's a couple things an anchor has to be. It has to be, it's got to be heavy, right? You can't just put down a little, you know, paperweight, <laughs> You want your anchor to be heavy and strong, don't you? You want your anchor to be solid so that when, when it's down there and the current is taking you around, that it, you're not going to go very far. Lest you drift. And in life, there's a lot of things that want to drift you away, right? Anchor has to be big, it's got to be strong, but it's also got to be placed in the right place. If I dropped an anchor on concrete, out, you know, uh, you know, and it's got nothing to drag on, it's not going to hold. We want your anchor to go down there and latch onto something and keep you steady. He says, we have an anchor that's not in the ocean. We have an anchor that has entered behind the veil, the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, an anchor in heaven. See, some people put, place their anchors and hope in their anchors on earth. Maybe the next president will be my anchor. Maybe, maybe my pastor will be my anchor. Maybe my children will be my anchor. They'll keep me from drifting. Okay, your children will be, God bless them. Where's your anchor? Is it in man? At the end of the day, who is going to take you to heaven? Who is going to redeem your soul? It's one person, Jesus Christ. He says, let's press on to, 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 to maturity and have the same kind of faith that Abraham did who despite delays and circumstances trusted God at his word, 
And he had it such that his faith was so secure in God, there was like an anchor that held them there. This is the hope that we have, this anchor, a hope both sure and confirmed, which enters the, which enters the veil. The word sure there means it's, uh, it looks like the word asphalt, it's asphalase. It means it's certain. It means something that's established beyond question or doubting. It means to be stable. We have an anchor that's stable, that's certain, that's completely believable. We have an anchor that also says that is confirmed or steadfast, which means it's not something that will give away easily. That would be that our anchor is in Christ only. Where is your anchor? We have an anchor in Christ who has, verse 20, entered for us as a forerunner. See that? A forerunner? He's entered behind the veil as a forerunner for us. That doesn't mean a scout to go and come back to... That means a forerunner who's gone before you to pave the way. He's made a way to heaven. And he's still there, amen? He's still there. It's the Lord who goes before you. As he says in the children of Israel in Deuteronomy one thirty. the Lord goes before you. He will fight for you. The Lord goes before you. It's the idea that he's clearing the way. He's making a path. He's making, and, he's, and, and, you're, and you're, you're settled. You're secure. Your anchor is, is in heaven with Christ, which means you're not going to drift very far. If your anchor is in heaven, you're not going to drift very far. If, you're, if your anchor is on earth, you haven't got there yet. But if your anchor is in heaven with God, with Christ, then you're secure, then you can trust that God will be faithful to complete that, which He has started in your life. Amen? That's the hope. Is your hope in Jesus Christ? Is He the hope of your salvation? At the end of the day, I don't care if you're involved in church all your life, at the end of the day, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. And when you come to God, it's not, I did this for Jesus. I was this, I was that, it's He, ultimately, right? He rescued me, He secured me, He redeemed me, He died for me. There's no I in the equation, it's all Him. It's all God. He has been faithful, He has been good. He's worthy. Amen? Amen. God is a faithful God who keeps His word, who keeps His his oath, who keeps His promises. And if He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will keep and rescue you and bring you to heaven with Him. If If you have placed your faith in Christ, your hope is secure. Your hope is secure. This is despite your past, despite your mistakes, despite all your all this, you know, the doubting. Your hope is your your hope is in Christ. You have a secure hope. If it's not in Christ, God help you. Is your hope is your anchor with Christ? Settle settle now.
No one knows the day or hour. We don't know the day or hour we're going to go and be with him. Let it be that it's settled now. I haven't done my job if, if that hasn't been settled. In fact, let's take just a, 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 just a few minutes, just, just briefly. Let me, let me just let's close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Lord, maybe I'm speaking to the choir, Lord. And if I'm preaching to the choir, then God bless the choir. But if there's one person, whether watching here presently in person or somebody I'm watching online, who's not certain, God, let it be. Lord, you have been faithful. Let it be whoever that is, Lord, that they would settle that. Say, Lord, I will trust you. The Lord Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in truth. Then he says, your word is truth. Let it be, Lord, that our, our hearts and our lives are settled on the truth. That Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, all of our sins, has washed them away, has raised us up. We have been raised up with Christ. That our security is in Jesus Christ. Our very lives are in Jesus Christ. We trust you, Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone who may not have that trust or may have not placed that trust in Christ. Lord, I ask that they would do that, Lord. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that when we come to the end of our days, that if we have trusted Christ, that trust has not been worthless, Lord. That trust has been well worth it, Lord. Ultimately, our lives are in your hands, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? I was, I was uh, reflecting on my life, you know, and I was just thinking back. I've been married to Sarah for 25, 25 years. We met 27 years ago, 27 and a half, April of 95. April, fi- April 5th, 1995, we met. And since the day of my, my wife, my wife, the day I met my wife, my life has never been the same in a good way. But I think back of how God has been faithful over our marriage and just think where I was before I met her and what God has done I look back and say Lord you're too kind you've been you've been gooder that's not a word (laughs) I wish I could let's invent the word gooder you've been gooder (laughs) than I than I deserve and I see your hand, and I see how you've done things, and, and, and maybe years I would 
have get frustrated or wigged out, you know, on oh no, you know. But I'm, I'm and I've got a lot of growing to do, but I realize that God you call out on him and ask him into your life and to, to save you and to, to change you, he will do it. Now throw away your plans of how he's gonna do it. And just allow him because he will he is like the master artist that creates and crafts something that is so glorious that only he can think of it. And that's all I'm saying is, I'm not preaching this just because it's, I mean, it's in the Word of God, but because he, I, I'm living it, you know? And all of us can do the same thing. Look back and see how God has been faithful to us. That's the testament the world is needing to see is changed lives. Look what Christ has done for me. When we get to heaven, the conversations we're going to have, the astonishment on some, hey, you're here? <laughs> I knew when you were, you know, but it's all going to be a testimony of how good he is. Let's settle that. God is good. Amen? Well, let's, let me bless you guys with, let's, pronounce a blessing on the, of the Lord on God told Moses or Moses and Moses told Aaron hey before my people leave I want you to put, put my bless them and place my name on them with these words the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus name amen God bless you see you guys next time love you